Well, if you are a, a guest with us today, you're catching us in the middle of a fall uh, sermon series we began several weeks ago that's taking us through the book of Romans. And we've um, so far uh, covered the first chapter of Romans and today are turning to chapter two. Uh, but just by way of quick review, uh, because there's a, there's a very logical flow to Paul's writing in this letter. Um, in, the, in the first half of chapter run, one, Paul introduces himself with some greetings and uh, there's a lot more there. Even in his introduction, he's kind of expressing how countercultural his message really is. And after that introduction, he hits on what will be the central theme of this letter to the Romans, that uh, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. So it's easy for us to read that and think that in the gospel, we see that God is righteous, but that's really not what Paul's talking about. He's talking about a righteousness that, that becomes ours uh, by God's grace through faith in Jesus. And we kind of unpack this very important word for really the whole letter of Romans, right, righteousness. In the Old Testament, uh, that, uh, right, the word righteous refers to being uh, kind of straight or stiff or unbroken. And it's much like if, uh, if you break your arm you need an orthopedic doctor to set it right, to make it unbroken again. That's what righteousness is. God is seeking to make us unbroken again, entirely unbroken, just as if we were never broken at all. That's the good news. That's the righteousness of God. And in the gospel, the righteousness of God has been revealed by faith from first to last in Jesus. So that's the central theme. And then we turn the corner, and if you remember two Sundays ago, it's a whipsaw. We go from grace, gospel, God making us unbroken to Paul just hammering on sin. And that goes from Romans chapter one, verse 18 to Romans chapter three, verse uh, 20, really. He takes up uh, this, this task of helping us understand how bad the bad news is for the purpose of our clear understanding of how really good the good news is. And Paul, in the second half of Romans 1, starts with the pronoun they, the, the third person plural. They have done this and they have done that. And just articulating how the Gentile world has kind of gone off the rails morally. And, 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 and in, in so doing really is kind of speaking to the whole world, but he's focused on the, on the Gentile world. But here where chapter 2 begins, he changes pronouns from they to you. And the contrast is stark. Paul knows human nature, and he knows that even after this kind of devastating declaration of human depravity that is the second half of Romans 1, he knows that even after that, some people will react with this in their minds. Yeah, you give it to them, Paul. Those people out there are making the world go to hell in a handbasket, and they need this message. You give it to them. So Paul begins with you. And he has in mind not just Jewish people, but people who think they're better than others based on their own behavioral performance. So, if you're like me and find yourselves all worked up 
at times in self-righteous anger at the disgraceful behavior of others, this is for you. So buckle your seatbelts and listen to the scripture. From the second chapter of Romans. You, therefore, have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else. For at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself, because you who pass judgment do the same things. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you, a mere human being, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath, when his righteous judgment will be revealed. God will repay each person according to what they have done. To those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. There will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. But glory, honor, and peace for everyone who does good, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For God does not show favoritism. All who sin apart from the law will also perish apart from the law, and all who sin under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but it is those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. Indeed, when Gentiles who do not have the law do by nature things required by the law, they are a law for themselves even though they do not have the law. They show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts, their consciences also bearing witness, and their thoughts sometimes accusing them and at other times even defending them. This will take place on the day when God judges people's secrets through Jesus Christ, as my gospel declares. This is the word of the Lord. Paul knows human nature. He knows us. You've sensed this in you. Yeah, give it to them. They're making it all go bad. They need this message. And we're, we're strange creatures, aren't we? I'm, a, I'm not a psychologist, uh, but studied enough psychology in in college, you know, like the 101 and the next class or whatever, um, to, to know that human beings have kind of self-programmed self-protection mechanisms. And that, that in some ways, it might be God's uh, gracious gift to us because I think some of them help us remain sane and um, operate in a world that's very difficult. But one of the oddities of those self-protection mechanisms is right here, I think. You know, the tendency to be critical of others and lenient toward ourselves 
around the exact same issue. You know, we condemn a behavior in others as outrageous, but the very same behavior doesn't seem nearly as serious when it's ours and not someone else's. We condemn in others the faults we excuse in ourselves, or we can, right? I mean, this is the fog of self-righteousness. And we, the church, need to hear this because it impairs our spiritual vision. It causes us not to see things that are really rather big and obvious. Uh, But that's no excuse, says Paul. Just because you can't see, that doesn't mean you're excused. You therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else, for at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself. Whatever point you condemn another person, you're really condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same things. Ouch. You who pass judgment on someone else have no excuse because you do the same things. 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 To which we might say, no, I don't. But remember Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, if you harbor anger in your heart, you've committed murder. If you fan into flame that lustful desire in your heart, You've committed adultery. We've done the same things. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's Paul's point in this entire section of Scripture. This is uh, the singular fact in this world that levels the playing field for everyone. Be you the Prince of England or an orphan living in the trash dump outside of Nairobi. We are all in the same boat, every single person. Doesn't matter how much money you have, doesn't matter what color your skin is, it doesn't matter what language you speak, from which culture you emerge, where you live in this world, every single human being is in the same situation. Nobody's here, nobody's here. Everyone is here, everyone. Now, now the, the command about not passing judgment on others isn't new. Jesus made it quite clear. He said this, do not judge or you too will be judged. Now, we need to be careful here because there's, there's some important nuancing to do. First, there's a big difference between making judgments about things and being judgmental. Right? Some people kind of at one end of a continuum have interpreted Paul's words and Jesus' command to mean that Christians really shouldn't talk about ethics, that, that God loves people, we should too, and this means that we shouldn't tell people that something they're doing might be wrong. It's a kind of a live and let live mentality uh, centered around this deeply held belief, uh, who am I to tell somebody else that something that they're doing might not be the best? Who, who am I? And we need to be really clear here, that is not what Paul is saying, nor is that what Jesus meant. There's a big difference between making judgments about things and being judgmental. Big difference. The scripture's really clear. The person with the spirit makes judgments about all things. 
You know, the, the, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit has a very clear and active role in our life. And you can read about that in John 14 and 16, some very specific things that the Holy Spirit does within us. And if you read those and kind of explore your own inner spiritual world, you, you can begin to sense more clearly what the Spirit is, is doing and the way the Spirit might be guiding you. One of the things the Holy Spirit does is to guide us into all truth. Guide us into all truth. In addition, Jesus said of his followers, you're the salt of the earth. Meaning, in a very real way, followers of Jesus are the preservative of the world. You know, and the only way we have a preserving effect in the world is by making judgments about things happening in the world according to biblical truth and then acting in redemptive, kind of kingdom-oriented ways for the good of people. Right? Christians are called to live against the grain of culture, uh, to, to be a countercultural community of love in the world to the degree that the world sits up and says, what, what is going on with them? I mean, it's just so distinctly different. Right? I, I like this summary from John Stott about what Paul's saying here. This is not a call either to suspend our critical faculties or to renounce all criticism and rebuke of others as illegitimate. It is rather a prohibition of standing in judgment on other people and condemning them especially when we fail to condemn ourselves. I mean, that's Paul's beef here. It's about different standards. It's about our inherent tendency to use a hard grading scale for everybody out there and a lenient one for ourselves. That's hypocritical, and we should stop that. Because the Lord detests differing weights, and dishonest scales do not please him. You know, if we're sliding the scale in our internal world as we think about the behavior of other people, that's missing the mark. I mean, this is really the key to the whole, you know, making judgments versus being judgmental thing. When we pass judgment on others, we think of them as worthless and beyond hope. And we kind of seal them in a particular place or in a group. No, No possibility of change. And you and I both know that we need people to speak with us and to interact with us in a way that gives us freedom to grow and change and to become more fully the people God is calling us to become. You know, the Christian life is a journey, not a performance. And and we all need that, that kind of grace. And when we pass judgment on somebody, we're relegating them to remain as they are forever. No possibility of of a growth in grace. In not so many words, what we're really saying is that the blood of Jesus really won't cover them. And no one, anywhere, ever, should say that. Because it shows utter contempt for the gospel and God's purposes revealed in it. And that's the point of verse four in the passage we read today. Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. What a beautiful statement. When we pass judgment on others, we show contempt for the purposeful patience of God. Did you know that God is patient and and kind with us? Did, Did you know that that patience and kindness have a purpose? Did you know that every day, every moment of every day, the Lord is near to us? 
calling to us, inviting us into the life that is really life, encouraging us to to look beyond our circumstances toward eternity, revealing an entirely new view of the world, the universe, our lives, and where we fit into this whole thing. Did you know that? God is at work right now, and God's patience and kindness have a purpose. Not just for you and me, but for everyone everywhere. God's leading us toward repentance, toward a change in thinking that will lead us to a life more aligned with what we say we believe. This is the process of sanctification. Excuse me. Uh, It's about whole life alignment. This is what Jesus works out in our life. We never achieve it in this life, but it certainly is the goal. And here's the text from our scripture today toward this end. But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. God, quote, will repay each person according to what they have done, end quote. To those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. Okay, this isn't happy. I mean, the fog of self-righteousness causes us to miss the point, kind of the main point, that God is trying to make people unbroken again for the purpose of living in relationship with God. God wants us close, not distant. God wants friends who, who worship and, and love him. This is the point, the relationship. And when we live with differing standards as we look toward others, judging others harshly and missing the fact that we've done the same things, we store up wrath against ourselves. It's a very interesting word in the original language. If, if we were to... Uh, put it into a modern equivalent, it would be like your, your, uh, your regular IRA contribution that's withdrawn from your paycheck and goes right into the, the retirement account. We store up for retirement with, and with the assumption that a little money and a lot of time equals a lot of money and then retirement's okay and you're, you're funded. I mean, Paul's saying the spiritual math is similar. I mean, a little stubbornness a little unrepentance, a lot of time equals a wealth of wrath. It, you know, the, the end of our lives is dictated by every little thing along the way. And, and says the scripture, God will repay each person according to what they have done. At which point we might say, wait a second, what? Wasn't he just talking about a righteousness becoming unbroken by faith alone, not by what we do? So wait, are, are, this is a completely opposite message. What are you saying here, Paul? God's going to repay each person to, according to w- what they've done. I mean, I thought that the righteousness of God has been revealed and that we've been declared righteous. So what's this about God saying or God repaying people according to our, our works? Uh, writes one commentator, justification is by faith, 
judgment is by works, or will be according to works. And, and bibli- biblically understood, the day of judgment will be a public occasion when, when there will be no more secrets anywhere. And the presence or absence of faith uh, in our hearts will be revealed by the presence or absence of good works of love in our lives. They, they, go, they go together, not two separate silos here. Uh, really, the apostles Paul and James are saying the same thing. James. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds, as if they're in separate silos. Show me your faith without deeds, says James, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. He's saying, look, they're not, they're not two separate silos. This is all one thing here. And Paul says the same thing in Galatians. The only thing that counts is faith, expressing itself through love. There's a link between our faith, what it is that we believe, and what is going on in our lives. I mean, this, this, was, this was glaringly obvious to people in the ancient world. They, they understood that someone can't just say with their mouth that they intellectually believe something and lead a life that reveals something completely different. Right? Any ancient person, a person of Jesus' day, would understand that what they were saying with their mouth made no difference at all. What they really believed was evidenced by their life. And, and this is the biblical understanding of repentance and belief, right? We tend to think of repentance as the, the outward alignment of our life to what we believe in our heads. But that's not what Jesus said. He said, repent first and then believe. Repent, change your thinking, uh, the internal turning from what this world is in your mind to what it really is as proclaimed by Scripture and God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And then the believing part is aligning your life to that. You know, a life that reveals this interchange of repentance. Um, really, just, just as a quick side note, and I won't take too much time here. A uh, quick side note, our congregation recently went through a big strategic planning process called StratOp. And uh, a whole lot has happened in our church because of that. And we're working on kind of a, a, a summary document for those of you who've been tracking with that to kind of unpack all the findings of that team and, and the work that's been done and what has happened thus far. So that's coming soon. But one of the pieces that emerged for us was a very clear pathway of discipleship. You know, what we want to do as a church, how we want to encourage spiritual growth among all of us and invite all of us onto a pathway that, that kind of propels us toward an end. And that pathway is really built on the four big imperative statements of Jesus. And two of them I just mentioned, repent and believe. I mean, repent, change your thinking. Believe, align your life. Wait, this is what Jesus told the apostles in Acts right before his ascension. Wait until you are filled with the Holy Spirit and you receive power from on high. Wait, be filled with the Spirit and go make disciples. I mean, as a whole body, we believe that we should be part of a community of disciples who are making other disciples, who will make other disciples, who will make other disciples. Because that's the fundamental strategy that Jesus gave to us as the church for the task of reaching the world, everyone everywhere with this good news that God wants to make us unbroken again. Right, the very first words of Jesus' public ministry, the time has come, the kingdom of God has drawn near, repent and believe the good news. And repent, change your thinking, believe align your life, whole life alignment 
begins to emerge from following Jesus. Not perfectly. We're all works in progress. We all need the grace of that. This is the ongoing challenge of sanctification. But faith in Jesus begins to be evidenced by whole life alignment. We, will, we would and should see that. And this is true for everyone. Paul wanted to make sure that Jewish folks or us church people didn't feel exempt from this truth. So he wrote this, for God does not show favoritism. For it is not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but it is those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. God doesn't show favoritism between Jew and Gentile. God doesn't show favoritism between church people and non-church people or by any other human distinction. That's what Paul means here. For it's not hearing God's word that makes one righteous. It is those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. Jesus made the exact same point in a parable he told about a wise and a foolish builder. Here it is. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. It's a very interesting uh, contextual understanding for this passage. If you go to the Holy Land and you go out into the desert, there are wadis, dry stream beds. And at the bottom of a dry stream bed is sand while everywhere else there's primarily rock. So the contextual understanding of this passage would be, hey, the wise person builds her house up on the rock where they know there's not going to be a river during the rainy season. The foolish person goes right down into the bottom of the wadi, which will be a river in the rainy season, and builds their house right there. That would not be smart. You should be able to see that coming. Right? The distinction is not about hearing the words of Jesus, but putting them into practice. I will show you my faith by my deeds, says James. Right? And, and again, the larger point of the passage is to, to call out our self-righteous response. So Christians, this is for you. This is for me. If we claim to follow Jesus, self-righteousness has no place in our spiritual life. It's the big point that Paul's making here. In verses 1, 18 through 32, he says, man, this is, you know, the world's terrible. We all have this law written on our hearts so we know what's right and wrong. And look, we're all doing wrong. And worse than that, there are people who actually approve of all that wrongdoing. Oh my goodness. But here he turns the corner and says, I'll I'll actually one-up you on that. You know, we all know what's right and wrong and we're doing wrong and there are actually some people who condemn the others who are doing the exact same wrong that they are doing. Which adds a whole nother layer to this. 
a level of, of hypocrisy and posing that's just glaringly untrue and wrong. I mean, when we pass judgment on others using a sliding scale or different standards, we miss the point that there is only one standard by which we'll be judged, God's single impartial standard. Indeed, when Gentiles who do not have the law, that's the single standard, do by nature things required by the law, they are a law for themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts, their consciences also bearing witness, and their thoughts sometimes accusing them, and at other times even defending them. God's law in the single impartial standard by which we will be judged, it's written on our hearts. Now at the end of the day, God's judgment for Christians is good news. Because by grace and through faith, we've been declared righteous in Jesus. And we can approach the throne of grace with confidence. This is not a message that inspires fear in Christians or trepidation like, oh no, I've got to do more to be right with God. That is not the message at all. But the message is that God's watching our lives. It's not like the tape just gets erased. And there's the possibility of standing before our Heavenly Father at the end of everything and having him say not just you have been declared righteous and I view you as entirely unbroken. But there's the possibility of God looking at us and saying, and by the way, great job. Great job. Thank you for laying it all down. Thank you for leaving nothing on the course. You gave it your all. Good job. And there's a lot to talk about around this idea of God's law being written on our hearts. How, you know, what exactly does that mean? Let's put all those up on the shelf just for a moment. You and I both know this is true. You have experienced it. There is a program, an app, running in the background of your life and it helps you assess what is right and what is wrong. And that is not some fluke program from the app store that accidentally got downloaded. God put that there. So, slow down. Take a breath. Pay attention to that app. And as you do, you'll realize you're not listening to an it, but to a person who loves you really, who loves you, has your best interest at the deepest place in his heart. You know, because God's law is written on our hearts, when we do wrong, we know that we're doing wrong. And the call for Christians is to be in neither camp, neither the one that approves of the wrongdoing 
nor the one that condemns people because of the wrongdoing. We're the salt of the earth, the preservative of the world, graciously holding forth the word of life so that everyone everywhere might turn to Jesus and find the fullness of life he came to bring us. It's the big point for today. Don't live with a sliding scale. Be honest, be vulnerable, be transparent. This is all a much better way to bear witness to Jesus. And that place, I think Paul is saying, of doing wrong, knowing you're doing wrong, and condemning other people is particularly perilous from a spiritual perspective. So if you find yourself there, as your pastor, I invite you to repent. There's no life where you're at if you're in that place. Turn and come back. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Let's pray. Lord, we see uh, only dimly. We see uh, like looking at a mirror that's been fogged up with steam uh, in the the bathroom. And we, we acknowledge this before you. We need your help to know how to live and walk in this world. And Father, if there be any unpleasing way in us, would you please reveal that to us? Uh, help us toward that, that whole life alignment, toward that, that kingdom kind of life that we will enjoy with you forever. Uh, we long for the day when the struggle with sin will be over and we'll, we will be made like you. Uh, and until then, God, help us. Uh, help us to live and love and lead like you did while we're here in this world. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.